Founders face mentors and masters. I'm Captain Hawk, CEO of Founderspace, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. Today, I'm with Randall Kaplan, also known as Mr. Beach. He is the CEO of Sandy and Jump Investors, as well as many other things. He has a lot of irons in the fire right now. And Randy, I want to know from you, what got you here? Tell us a little about your background. Well, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and I had a very hardworking father who set a great role model. He was a great role model to me, set a great example. He used to leave the house at four in the morning to go to work. And I always had the entrepreneurial bug, even as a little kid. I was selling lemonade on the streets, and I raised money for muscular dystrophy, the telethon every year, which was a big thing back then, and we had a little carnival in the front of our house. Um, it was a lot of fun, and I like to create things. And I was, I was always very creative and very curious as a young kid. And as I grew more and as a teenager, I started to try new things. And one thing led to another, but it all started with a t-shirt company in college where I printed Michigan t-shirts. And I went door to door, learned how to sell and cold call. And then I made a bunch of shirts and hung out outside the Michigan football stadium, the big house greatest place in the world to watch football. And I would sit there with a box of t-shirts when there's 100,000 people walking down the same street, you have a bit, uh, nice sized crowd to buy something that you're selling if they like it. And people like the t-shirts I was making. So you got started selling t-shirts, but you went far beyond that. I know you graduated college, you had yep. $3,000, no job. Yeah. And then you went off to start this company, but you didn't know anybody. So tell us, how did you get started? Well, I actually went to Michigan for college. I did extremely well in school. I graduated top 1% of my class. And I learned there the value of a, a work ethic. And it took a lot to graduate in the top 1% of my class. I think the biggest determinant of our success is our work ethic. And I was always the first one in the library, the last one to leave. And I had my t-shirt business and I had fun. From Michigan, I went to Northwestern Law School. I also did well there and I wanted the law as a stepping stone. I did not want to practice law. So when I got out of law school, I lost my job five and a half weeks later due to layoffs, a bad legal climate, and I managed to get another job. I had $3,000 in the bank. My monthly rent was $1,200, and I had to take a job uh, 53 and a half miles away from where I was living, driving on the 405 in Los Angeles. At that point, I was leaving my house, my apartment at 530 in the morning, and I wouldn't get back usually until midnight. And I really wasn't enjoying that. So I didn't want to be a lawyer to begin with, and my career wasn't going well. I had three jobs my first year. I did get a second job. After uh, six months, they wanted me to move down to Costa Mesa. I wasn't doing that, and they said, well, you should probably leave and go find another job, and I did. And after I did that, I said, you know what? I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to have to go to business school. The opportunity cost was, was very high, and I thought, you know what? I know what I want to do. I want to learn from a successful CEO. 
and these aren't help wanted ads. So I had to be creative in terms of how I would get in the door to meet these people. You send a resume to the CEO of Disney or uh, Marriott or a, a studio or BMG and it says, hi, I'm Randy Kaplan. Here's my resume. I'm looking for a job. And it doesn't even get to the CEO. It goes to the HR department. Sometimes you'll get a nice form letter. Thank you. See ya. And sometimes you'll get nothing. So I thought, all right, well, how do we improve the hit rate? And how do you do something different that no one else has done? And one of the advice, one of the pieces that I, I tell people, um, entrepreneurs who will come to me, what are some of the things that I should do? Be different. Think different. And one of the things I thought is, okay, I'm going to write a letter. I don't want it to go into the trash basket or to human resources. So I said, people like to give advice. So I went in and I asked for informational job interviews, which meant I'm not looking for a job. And to get those meetings, I wanted them to be different. So instead of dear Michael or Steve, it was dear Michael, um, I'm Randy Kaplan. I did this and that, and I'm looking to transition from a legal to a business career. And then I listed every job they had held in their entire career, the progression from selling ice cream at Disneyland as a 16-year-old, that was Stephen Bolenbach, the CEO of uh, Marriott, and it took me 44 phone calls to get him on the phone once each week at the same time. And they listed every job, and there was no Google back then, so how did you do it? Well, our law firm had a subscription, which they paid one monthly fee for to do research on LexisNexis. And on LexisNexis, you could go back and print out whatever periodical you wanted back then, it went back 20 years. And so I printed out every periodical and feature on these people and I printed them out. And I had a letter writing fact factory in my uh, apartment and it was basically five inches thick. And I would go through, I'd highlight all the tidbits, I would sort them, I would put them in the order they had them. And everybody said, how on earth did you get this information? So right away, do your research it will get you in the door. Show the work, it will get you in the door. Be different, it will get you in the door. But I said, all right, that's not enough. I don't wanna write only an A plus letter, I wanna write an A triple plus letter. So what else? It had a cover page on it, a cellophane cover, and then it had a quote that that person had said to a reporter some point throughout the years. The key to Disney is how you hire. Michael Eisner, Business Week, January 3rd, 1996. So let me stop you there. You yeah. got in the room with Michael Eisner. Yes. This. You got in the room with the head Sumner, of Sumner Redstone. Wow. Eli Broad, 80 CEOs. Most were meetings, some were phone calls. So these are the top CEOs in the country at the time. In Los it Angeles. So who is the target you're trying to sell to? Identify your target. My target was CEOs in Los Angeles. I didn't want to move. I was newly married. My wife at the time was from Los Angeles and I liked it here. I grew up in Michigan. It was cold weather, Los Angeles. It's sunny and lots of fun. So how do I get a list of all the CEOs of the biggest companies in Los Angeles? Well, you look for resources that have that list. Once again, there was no Google then. so. 
I knew that a periodical called the Los Angeles Business Journal, which is similar to Cranes, which they have in different locations, would list the top this company, the top that company. And it had the top 100 public companies in Los Angeles. It had a whole bunch of other companies too. So I came up with my own list. I looked at that list and I thought, all right, I'm going to compile the list. Excel is how I track the list. I had various columns. I had my targets. I had the date written, the letter, all the follow-up sorted in columns so I could track. It was like my own CRM on Excel. And it was fairly easy to track with 300 people. So, so I, just to complete the letter, I had the cellophane cover. I had the quote. I had another tab on there, which was my letter. And then I had my transcripts from Michigan Northwestern and I had hosted this dating show in college called Michigan Today. It, it was a, a show on campus and it covered various parts of our life on campus. I did a dating segment where I was the host. I took a woman out on a date. They filmed it. It was very funny. It was comical. Uh, my kids have seen it. It's hilarious and they they, I mean, it's so funny to look back, but there was the Michigan Daily wrote about it. So I had the article that that went in on a, a separate tab. And then I put in a letter of recommendation from law school from the CEO of Detroit's largest and most successful law firm, who was my Little League baseball coach and one of my all time most important mentors in my life and in my career. So that's an amazing story. And it's an amazing lesson for anybody out there who wants to get ahead. So first of all, what I'm hearing from you is that you didn't take any shortcuts. You went all in and you I put did. in the work. I mean, you put in countless hours into, well, into preparing for each right. of these letters. Now, right. what was your hit rate? Like how many well, letters did you have to yeah. send out to get a CEO meeting? I told this idea <laughs> A lot of people. And do you know what they said? 100% would say, that's insane. Nobody is going to meet with you. Nobody. You're going to get zero. So to the entrepreneurs out there, don't listen to anybody. Follow your gut instinct. You can do anything you want. Anything is possible. That's my motto. And I said, all right, I'm going to do it. And you're just putting wood on my fire, fueling my fire. So that's the, uh, the first thing. The second thing is I had a busy job. I mean, as a first year lawyer, then uh, a second year lawyer, I was at my, um, my third law firm for a year and a half. You're working you know, 70 hours a week, seven days a week. So you, you get home. I mean, I would be at the office by seven every day at the latest. I would usually come home seven or eight. I'd work Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings usually which I still do today. Um, and you know, you're working a long time, but this is a job too. I had a full-time second job. So each letter took on average five hours to read, research, and put uh, together. Remember, you got to print it out on nice paper. Oh, and the other thing, the letter was in a, a spiral binder. So all this took a lot of time, the research, the writing, the printing and then putting the letters together. So if you do the math, um, 300 letters times five hours, that's 1500 hours. So that means you're working late at night. I mean, sometimes one, two, three in the morning, 
but I was a man on a mission and I knew what I wanted and it only takes one. Remember, uh, my dad told me this at a young age. I had, I had a crush on a, a girl. I asked her out on a date. This was in uh, high school. She said, no, I came home all bummed. And he said to me, you know, what's up? And I told him, he said, you know what? If you think about it this way, if you ask 100 girls out on a date and the first 99 say no, you're going to be bummed. But when the 100th person says yes, you're going to forget about the other 99. And I took that lesson. I apply it in business. I teach it to my team. You go after what you want and you're persistent and you keep trying to achieve your goal. And a lot of people will stop at the first or second time out and say, this is ridiculous. They're not calling me back. Who cares if they're not calling you back? And you, with these CEOs, you called them repeatedly or you contacted them repeatedly. Yes, I, I, I did. Um, some of these, uh, it took a lot of phone calls, a lot, a lot of phone calls. And finally, with uh, uh, Marriott's case, his um, assistant and I still remember her name. This was in 1995, Ophelia Reese, where, I mean, I call her Ophelia, Randy, yeah, hi, same message, yeah, okay, I'll give him the message. Finally, she calls me one day. Randy, you're in your office. Yep. Mr. Bullenbach is going to call you. Don't go anywhere. That must have felt so good. It felt good. I mean, it was a very brief, curt phone call, but at least I got him to call me back. You got 300 of these CEOs? You talked to 300? I wrote to 300 and I got 80 meetings or phone calls. Most of them were in-person meetings. 80 is really hot. The interesting thing is then too, I was a lawyer, very unsuccessful lawyer. And I had a lot of motivation. They could see it in the letter when I went, went in and I met these people. And some of the people I met have become good friends. Uh, Strauss Zelnick, who has been a guest on my podcast, we've co-invested together. He's the CEO of Zelnick Media. He was chairman of CBS, CEO of BMG, CEO of Fox. He's had an amazing career. I'm, I'm actually uh, going to New York this week and I'm going to see him, I think, on Friday. This has been fun for me, reaching out, meeting people. Okay, you, you got yeah. through, out of 300, you got to 80 top CEOs, which is pretty yeah. amazing. I mean, most people yeah. would get to a couple if they're lucky. Yeah. And out of these 80, what resulted from it? Well, I ultimately got a job as the assistant to the chairman for um, Eli Broad at Sun America. At that point, he was only one of two CEOs in the United States to start two Fortune 500 companies, Coffin and Broad and uh, Sun America. When I went in there through my research, I knew that he had the assistant to the chairman job, and this was the one I really wanted. The amount of research I did, I mean, it was a lot. Uh, they were a public company. I read the 10K, uh, the analyst reports. My goal in going in for that meeting was to be the single most prepared person he had ever met for a uh, meeting in his life. And I almost said a uh, job interview, but ultimately that's what all these meetings were. Go in, be so prepared, impress people, show them your drive, your research, and good things will happen. And they did, they happened. The long story short is, 
He hired me on my 27th birthday to be the assistant to the chairman. Uh, he gave me a choice of uh, titles. I could pick that or a managing uh, a director title. I said, you pick. He picked the managing uh, uh, director title. And um, that was the title that I had. It was interesting because that title later proved very fruitful when we started our technology company, Akamai Technologies. But back to the Sun America job, I went in prepared, and a lot of people will do research on people, and then you get the softball questions. Well, how did you get started? Or what's been the highlight of your career? What was your big break? Don't ask those questions. Those are ridiculous questions. Show your research. So I memorized 20 questions that were so detailed in research. It's, it's sort of like in middle school, you have a math problem and you don't write the answer. You get credit for showing the math. So show your work. So by asking the questions that were this detailed, I got to show my work. I memorized footnotes from the financial statements of the annual report, the 10Ks and the 10Qs, some of the stuff, I had no idea what it meant. I didn't skip it, I researched it. And I researched what are the best questions to ask. And so I, I went in there armed with knowledge. And when he mentioned this job, I said, he said, uh, do you know about the job I do? And then I listed the five people that could have had it before me, their names where they went to school, what their jobs were, and what they were doing today. And um, Eli began to scribble. And when someone scribbles, it's good. The furious scribbling is really good. So we continue to talk, and at some point, these CEOs are very busy, and they typically run late. Most of them run late, some ran two hours late and I was sitting there twiddling my thumb. So I said, all right, let's be productive with our time. Okay, there's no cell phones. So you're looking around, you know, twiddling your thumbs. You can't leave. And so I thought, I'm gonna prepare a cheat sheet, just like a study guide that I'm going to uh, shrink down. I'm gonna print it out, shrink it, and uh, double-sided and then laminated it so it had some thickness to it. And I kept that in my breast pocket of my suit. And then I would read the questions and I'd be, okay, I'm ready to go. And I'm, I'd recite them one through 20. Okay, I got these. And I would pick the questions depending on where the conversation was going. And in um, Eli's case, accidentally, I went to take my pen out and the card fell out. And he said, what is that? And I showed it to him. And his eyes were popping out of his head. And again, who does that? I'm not saying I'm the best or the greatest. I'm not. My goal is to be the worst player on my team. But I'd never seen that. I'd never heard of that. And it was different. And I thought, what can I do to maximize the efficiency of my preparation at the very end? You do all this work, and then you want to be able to close. And so... That was a very good effect. And at the end of the meeting, I had no business background. He said to me, I want you to take uh, a business class at UCLA. My assistant will get back to you and she'll call you. So she calls me back two weeks. 
And she said, okay, Mr. Broad is traveling. He wants you to take one of these two classes. And it didn't take me a millisecond to respond. My response was simple. Tell him I'll take them both. And I did. The other thing I did also, and this is some advice I give to people. Write thank you notes. Don't write an email. It's so easy to write an email. Oh, you know, dear Mr. Broad, thank you for meeting me. This is so great. Don't you think it's better to send a thank you note in hand? The, the reaction is different. And so I did a couple of different things that day. I left his office. I had a 90-minute meeting with him. It was the only 90-minute meeting one-on-one -on -one that I had with him in the three years that I worked there. I left his office. It was so hot that day, 90 degrees, humid. I ran to get my car across the street. His office was across the street from my office in um, Century City. Of course, the uh, Sun America name was on top of, of the building. I left his office, got my car, drove to UCLA, parked the car, didn't know where I was going, frantically ran to get a catalog, ran back to the car, parking ticket. Thankfully, car wasn't towed. Went back to my apartment, wrote my thank you letter, and had it back at his office in less than an hour. And again, I coach people all the time. They'll send a thank you note the next day. They'll wait on it. If you're going to send a email, why wouldn't you send it 10 minutes later? What, what are you waiting for? Do you think the impression of sending it 10 minutes later versus an hour, two, three, four, five in the morning, the next day, if you're gonna do it and you should do it no matter what, every meeting, sales meeting, any phone call you have, send something positive with your interaction with that people. But in interview, you gotta get it there. And what I started doing, Steve, is I, I started handwriting the note before I got the meeting. And then I would just fill it in. Sometimes I would wait an hour, I'd get something to eat, I'd get a coffee, and then I'd deliver it back. So I had the scheme worked out already. And do it now is one of uh, the things I coach people. It's ingrained to the DNA at our companies. And all, all these little things, the intangibles are often so much more important than the tangibles. There are maybe a million people who could have done that job. And maybe 90% were better than me. But not a single person who had that job would have been more motivated or would have worked harder or who prepped more and who didn't listen to anybody saying, he's going to meet with me. People are going to meet with me. So there's a lot of lessons here. And hopefully the story is helpful to people listening to this in deciding whether to approach somebody, to get up off of your chair, start writing, don't listen to people. It doesn't matter if the probability of the CEO of Disney meeting you is close to zero. If you don't try it, you're never gonna know. I heard a lot of stories about people applying for jobs. I've done it myself and I've had a yeah. lot of people come to me because I hire for interviews. Nobody right. has ever done what you did. I have not in my lifetime, I've not met somebody who's gone to the <laughs> lengths that you have gone, not only to get the interview, but to make that interview successful. And I think for those listeners who don't know, 
this is why you're so successful because you don't just stop where everybody else stops. Like you go way beyond. And like you said, these aren't things you have to be a genius to do. Like no. it, the genius was just that you did them, right? But anybody listening here is capable of doing this. They just have to put in the effort. They just have to put in the effort. So that's where I think our listeners can really learn something is that single-minded focus and drive to actually do the absolute most and best you can to get that result. And you didn't name low. You didn't even name me. You weren't looking to no. meet with directors or no. vice presidents. No. You wanted no. the CEO of some of the top companies well, in your region, right? In Los Angeles. That was, that was my goal. I mean, I was going to work as the right-hand person of a top CEO. But you didn't stop there. You know, your career went way off. That was just the entry yeah. point for your career. You, Akamai, right? A $19 billion company that, yeah. you know, you exited on, that you started. It is very clear right. to me, just talking to you in these few minutes we've had together, that yeah. Akamai was successful, not by accident, that you weren't successful by accident. A lot of people right. say, oh, it's luck I got successful. Well, maybe right. for some people it is, like they win yeah. the lotto, like they get super lucky. You weren't relying on luck. You were going to make these things happen. I want to ask you, so you've been this investor for all these years, a yeah. jump. Yeah. And then you decide to jump back into the startup arena. Yeah. What made you do that? And tell me about Sandy. You know, you're an entrepreneur. You're born one, I, I, I think, or you're not. You know, one of the questions that comes up is, can you learn it? And, and I think maybe you can. But for most I know, they have it in their DNA. So I like building. I like creating things. I like trying to find opportunities uh, and filling a need with a need. So... Have you ever been on a warm weather vacation? You've gone to the beach and you said to yourself, man, oh man, what am I doing here? This isn't what I wanted. I just wasted a day, a precious vacation day or family day. Has that ever happened to you? Absolutely. Like, right. And you can't tell because they don't give you a lot. You look, it's a beach, right? They say it's a beach, but you don't know, does it have great snorkeling? Does it have this? Does it right. have that? So this right. is, that was your inspiration for sand. The inspiration was, you know, uh, when I graduated college and law school, I did one of the Eurail trips through uh, Europe. And on, on one of those trips after law school, we went to Nice in the uh, south of France. Again, you know, you're in school. People are excited. Uh, you hear about these sexy topless beaches and, and you can't wait to get there. And you see the photos and you get there. And you realize, you know, wait a minute, this is a rocky beach. I mean, you can't lay out on the beach. I mean, we had a towel from the hostel, which was like a like a washcloth. And and we went there and we said, all right, this is this is not good. And then in 2013, I went on a date with this beautiful, incredible woman, Madison, who became my wife. We got engaged three months later. But we went on this trip to Greece. And we're at a nice hotel, and I only mentioned that this is a nice hotel because nice hotels have good concierges who should know what is near them. In Greece, more than half the people visiting the country will visit the beach, and so we're looking for a black sand beach. So I said, um, where is a black sand beach? She whips out a paper map, but she circles a point on the map and said, I think there's one here. There was no street name. Long story short, we get in our little mini Fiat uh, uh, convertible. 
We get out there, there's no food, no water, hot day, no Wi-Fi, no cell service. She said there was an old barn around here. There were a lot of old barns. And we're frustrated now, but we're tr you know, we're going to try to find it. We, we saw what looked like could have been some kind of an old road that was dirt. You could see uh, tracks that had been there at one time, but the weeds were very tall, in some cases taller than our car. I didn't want to go through. Um, my wife is a little younger than I am. She's more adventurous than, than I am. And I'm thinking of the movie Taken. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw that movie or not, but um, I'm thinking no one's ever going to find our bodies. You know, we're never going to come back. And so she said, we're going. So a mile later, the road was rocky, creaky. Some parts, you know, we had to, it, it just took a long time to get there. Then when we get there, there's this beautiful black sand beach. And it was incredible. That picture behind me with my wife uh, with the hair, that, that was taken at, at that beach. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way than this. So I went back, I Googled the beaches in Greece, Google beaches, I just started flying through the countries and I thought, man, there's no resource that has cataloged every beach in the world. And you start looking into this, Steve, and you say, okay, well, the global tourism business is, is, is a very big business. So what's the number? $9 trillion. All right, beach tourism is over half that, $5 trillion a year on beach tourism and it's amazing, there's no beach, definitive beach resource in the world. It's unbelievable. It's over half it, that. I wouldn't have guessed. Like of all yeah. the things you can do in life, beaches are half of tourism. Well, well, think about your own uh, vacations. Is beach, are beach vacations the most popular form of vacation that you take? I take all types. But yes, beaches are definitely up there. Okay. So for most people, they take more beach vacations than uh, different kind of vacations. And... The, the facts are that 75% of people in the world taking a vacation in the next year will plan at least one beach vacation. And the most important determinant of where they go is the quality of beach or beaches in that location. And then I want you to tell us where people can find you. You can find me at randall at jumpinvestors.com or randall at sandy.com. Instagram in search of excellence podcast. Dot com. Uh, you can see my photography at Randall Kaplan Photography um, and on uh, my website. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you want to access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.